0: Yeah, so hey, Yeah. So Texas, check the uh, Jumbotron. I posted a little infographic. It's about how COVID is Jewish. Um, what they're trying to do is they're trying to attack the mental state of these prisoners, essentially. Um,
1: Let me finish.
2: I'm so sorry. And I'm just going to tell you guys, everybody's being
1: railroaded.
2: I, I've worked for criminal attorneys, and everybody's being railroaded.
1: But go ahead. Yeah, so he does that. And he ends up being there for 90 days, 90 days. Wow, It's insane. And there's there are a lot of stories. And then of course they told me the same thing, you know, so you're up against the wall, do you take the vaccination or do? And then I got in there and I found out it's true. You don't go in two weeks, you're in there till you, you, you leave. And then some of these prisons are just not set up with the right staff to let them out enough. You know, they're in the, they put them in the worst prisons they can imagine. So the, I'm not I'm not one to advocate and say uh, oh they're treating just J sixers uh, bad and not everybody else I don't do that kind of thing. However, they are that's a fact. So they
2: I, are putting the J sixers in solitary confinement
1: in some of these prisons. Yes, and it's not. And I do they
2: it, know do 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 they understand that. That's
1: illegal. You know what the uh, lady told me when I wanted to complain? You have your human rights and you can file a complaint. She wouldn't even give me the paperwork. She says, Miss Hippill, you're in prison. Do I need to say that again? And so I I wouldn't... And did
2: she not tell you
1: you could file a complaint? Well, in fact, what was the inmates said? I have to go to this person and she'll give me the paperwork.
2: There's something called... I'm, I'm bumness. I'm, I'm trying to... Look it,
1: look it, it doesn't exist for J6ers. Listen to me, this, what? Is, a rea- this is a reality. If, if people don't, people are going, oh, you're just trying to play victim and make it look like the j 6 are being picked on. No, I was there, I saw Oh, fact, the lady that's the lifer that where I was at. Sorry with you. I don't mean to interrupt Hempel, you. Miss Hemphill, you're not leaving prison. Do you get that? And I said, what are you talking about? You're a they They're going to make sure you never get out of here. And I said, you're kidding me. You're, how would they keep me? She said, they're going to put drugs in your room or in your drink when you're not looking. They will give you another charge. You'll be here for four to seven years. Then they'll find something else and keep you another five. This is real. This is really going on in these prisons with these J6ers. It's true. I, I, I wouldn't say this unless I had some facts.
3: Oh, you wouldn't. Oh, that's good to know. How are you? did you?
0: Is it cool if I answer that really quick for um, Texas? Or? Actually, I was
2: gonna ask um, Jalise to speak while
0: well, she's well, here. <laughs> Hello, Helena. It's actually Mark right now. Oh. I'm sitting next to Jalise. Um, yeah, the Texas feeling. Um, the rules don't matter anymore. The law, the facts are made up. The laws don't apply. They're doing whatever they want to do to persecute the us. The rules
2: never mattered in the system. Well,
0: true, very true. And you know, for you, uh, Texas, I'm I'm from North Texas, also. Um, former, there you go. Con, uh, former uh, candidate for state rep, um, while being a J sixer, by the way, <coughs> and. Yeah, it's just it's it's absolutely nuts what's going on.
2: Um, so you know what I'm talking about when it comes to Texas and absolutely. their 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 system for the jails and the prisons and everything.
0: Absolutely, and okay, thank you know we have got and some things going on with some of the higher ups in the state. Um, I don't. Want to I don't trust to right them. Now. Well, I don't either, but but there's one that – that's why I ran for state rep is because our rep is a big-time rhino. Um, but um, I do know there, there's some of the J6ers that are working behind the scenes with some higher-ups in, in the state government. Um, there are things the state government can do, all states can do, um, to, to stop this, but, it, you know, they, they, they've got to get the balls. That's that's the
2: problem. (laughs) Exactly, but do you really think they're going to do that? They're in... (sighs)
0: You you know the climate in Texas.
3: Okay, I think we should be able to go ahead and get started with the recording with this guy. So what we're going to do is we are going to... um, Let's see. What we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and give him a call and uh, the audio won't be perfect but that's okay we are still learning how to do it okay someone from mexico Mm -hmm. is calling you from new mexico Oh, this is American cheese. Are oh, you have a friend or Oh, this is the interview guy, my dear. Oh, okay, okay. All right, I get a lot of weird calls all the time. Can't be too careful. All right. Here, <laughs> let me put you on speaker so we can hear you and uh, make sure that you are uh, coming through loud and clear, my friend. Roger that. All right. Sounds good. So uh what I will do is I'll just intro the show. I've got um I've got the uh let's see. I've got the Twitter uh page up here where we've got the um the Twitter space showing uh showing what's happening there but of course I've got that muted for the moment. And then um what we wanted to do with you is to just ask you questions about your experience. Uh, keep in mind that a lot of the people that are going to listen to the show are not going to have nearly as much knowledge as you about what happened. So, um, we're going to need to make sure to speak to a general audience that doesn't know what happened. Um, yeah. So, you know, imagine you're speaking to, you know, the, um, you know, just general news public and not, uh, you know, people that are, uh, Spending multiple hours a day in, in calls talking about this, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. Okay, sounds good. So my understanding, based on what you said, is that the uh, um, uh, my understanding, based on what you said, is that the video that you sh- uh, video that you have linked on your uh, on your pinned post is a video yeah. that you took while you were there. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. So then, what we will do is I've just got that up on the screen as um, the background of the video, so okay. essentially that's just uh, it's just going to be playing on loop on the video for the uh, for the YouTube stream. and then okay. well,
4: um, if, if you want, I can get set up for video. I just wasn't
3: prepared for it. Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, no, no big deal. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. it, it, most of our audience is on the radio anyway, so it's, it's no big okay. deal. All right yeah, cool so then what we will do is um <clears throat> excuse me uh what we will do then is uh i will go ahead and start the recording and uh we will go from there like i said just make sure that you're talking to a general audience and not the uh the january 6th crowd audience yeah yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, sir because
4: uh, no, I've, I've been all around it so
3: uh, I, I'm, yeah, su- I'm, I'm with I, you I'm and sure. by the way just
4: ask whatever you want you can kind of guide that conversation obviously i'm sure so
3: Okay, sounds good. All right, we will go ahead and go live in just a moment. Okay, and in three, two, one. Hello. Uh, let's see. Five, four. Oh, it has to restart. Okay, three, two, one. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Furry President Show. Uh, here with us today we have a special guest named Sean Bradley Weitzman. Uh, Sean Bradley is one of the people who was present at the January 6th riots that happened in uh, January of 2021 and uh, We just wanted to bring Mr. Weitzman on the program and ask him a couple of questions about what happened that day So uh, go ahead and introduce yourself my friend
4: Yeah, uh, Sean Witzman, I've been, uh, you know, I started out as an independent journalist in 2019 um, actually with the idea of covering issues in Eastern Europe of all places and elsewhere on the globe. Um, So that actually started with a trip to Armenia. Um, I think I, I did a lot of good work towards that end and I was excited about the future. actually ended up taking another trip to the United Kingdom, traveled over the United Kingdom and worked more towards these kind of satirical documentaries. There's there's a lot of backstory here if we if we want to get into it but you know that was really my start was in satire it moved into kind of more realistic journalism I started a podcast that was called the Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism in uh, 2020
5: mm-hmm. okay. around
4: March and and we did that nightly wow. um, ended up ended up covering a lot of the different BLM um, you know kind of associated protests. Mm-hmm. And riots uh, throughout the summer of 2020, so I was kind of deeply involved in a lot of that, covering that from more of a left-leaning perspective. Mm. Um, and then, and then in uh, you know November, obviously, you know we all saw issues with the election, whatever, whatever people may or may not think about that. There was issues, um, and and so I ended up going to Washington D.C in November to cover the original Million MAGA March.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And so, yeah, so that's what I did. I ended up following, you know, just like the Stop the Steal protests or whatever, all around the country. I was in Atlanta, I was in, I was in Phoenix, and actually DC three times. Hmm. And January 6th was, the, I guess, the culmination of, of that coverage.
3: Got it. Got it. Okay, so you were on the ground covering it for your uh, media outlet, website, YouTube channel. What yep. you got?
4: Yep, I had I had a variety of different outlets that were all housed under my media company. So there were there were all sorts of things that were under that. Um, and like I say, the nightly podcast was Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism, but that's since been deleted by YouTube because in the aftermath of you know the Department of Justice charging me. Um, for being there, um, they they deleted all of that record.
3: Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, do you have some type of archive of that, or is it just completely gone?
4: Uh, well, I've got it archived in a few different places. Um, you know, obviously Odyssey has a lot of different material archived there because there was like a straight upload uh, from YouTube to Odyssey at that time. Hmm. That was one of the ways we tried to deal with different censorship issues that were going on. Um, because the censorship just was rampant, and that was all throughout the summer. It didn't matter if we were covering BLM protests or MAGA protests, the, there was just rampant censorship going on. And now we know, you know, based off of filings that have come out in Missouri and everything else, that there was a lot of, uh, I guess we could say, collusion at the very least between different government agencies and, you know, Facebook, Meta, Twitter, and all of that. So I think as this entire you know, investigation of what went on continues to move forward, uh, you know, we're going to be able to dig into that and find out a lot more of just how involved the government was in censorship on these various social media platforms.
3: Okay. Interesting. So uh, before we get into what happened that day, uh, tell, me about, um, tell me about what drew you into journalism. Like, I, I have my own story of just, you know, I, I love investigating things that are you know complex interesting issues and uh, trying to bring justice to those uh to those difficult situations um and so uh what is that uh what has that journey been like for you
4: you know i think that's why people get into it um you know if i if i kind of wind back the clock a long way um, i can actually go back to when i was a child and i always had an interest in journalism um you know, and then, and then when I started going to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was studying sociology, uh, anthropology, philosophy, just kind of, you know, floating around. Couldn't ever really pick a subject, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, then life necessitated uh, that I that I not follow that anymore. I actually got my then girlfriend uh, pregnant at the time, had kids, and so it was like, well, I guess I'm done with school for now. I'm just going to go work. So that's what I did. Right, um, and, for, and for many, many years, uh, you know, I operated a, a plumbing business. I worked as a manager, became very successful at that mm-hmm. um, as a mechanical contractor. And so, you know, it, you know, through the years and my kids are getting older and I'm kind of looking around the world. And there was actually a situation in my local community where the, the water company there um, really was doing some shady things. And it had turned into a crisis, and so my neighborhood didn't have any water.
5: Oh wow! um,
4: That was that was potable, and you know it was kind of like this thing where I just got thrown into it. Obviously, you know I was very experienced, a master plumber in three different states by that point. And I'm looking at the situation. I said nothing about this is right, and so I actually ended up calling up a friend of mine, and I said, "Hey, let's go to the water treatment plant and see what's going on down there." Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, yeah, let's do it. So we actually went to the water treatment plant and took a, a bunch of photos and spoke to the one man that was there operating it, and got a lot of answers for the community. Ended up, you know, disseminating that through various media outlets, and there was actually a Facebook group at the time um, that that helped us get all that information out to the community. So I guess in a lot of the ways, that was probably the first. Uh, issue that I dug into in that capacity and then that led and then that led to more opportunities to the point where I actually started a a satirical news site called the Farmington Tribune in 2018 Hmm. Um, and that became very successful we wrote just kind of hilarious satirical stories some of them really dug into real issues others were just for fun uh, but a lot of those stories actually went very viral um, through another asset that we had called Denver Tribune that was all housed under what I was doing. And and so it became pretty successful. And that's really what led to me going to Armenia, because, you know, to give more of that backstory, um, was that I used to respond to people who would say, oh, this is fake news, this is fake news. I would say, I would say, no, no, this has been independently verified by the Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism. <laughs> And it was and it was yeah. and it was kind of like a joke. And people can actually go find that if they go to Denver, uh, Denver Nine USA News, and they search Denver Tribune and Bluecifer, because we had written this uh, story about how there's like the big blue horse in front of Denver International Airport, and we had said that they were getting rid of it because it had killed too many people and that you know that, that they, were going, that they, they had court proceedings at the Casa Bonita Courthouse. There was just all these jokes in that. But when Denver USA 9 reached out to us for comment, that's all I responded to them. I said, well, all of our stories are independently verified by the Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism, and as far as we know, Denver USA 9 or whatever has yet to receive that standard of accreditation, which casts a shadow of doubt on the assertion that anything they report is anything other than fake news, and so so it was kind of like this funny thing where we trolled, you know, pretty much all sides of all political debates. I always tried to keep it um, very uh, fair and balanced in that respect, and pick on everybody a little bit and their you know their different confirmation bias and assumptions about the world we live in, and that and so that was really what spawned you know the creation of the media company and then I went to Armenia under this kind of I guess you could call it a joke uh but I you know I had written this kind of mythology about the founding of the Armenian Council for Truth and Journalism and said that Noah had established it when he disembarked from the ark um of course. so it, it, so yeah there's a lot of layers to this and and that was why I went to Armenia was to go find the Council for Truth and Journalism—that was kind of the idea we were working with—but that actually led me to really want to dig into some different issues. When I was over there, I had to kind of come face to face with some of the realities of human trafficking and, um, you know, the slave trade. Really, mm. I don't know what else you'd call it. Um, and so it, that was—it was like a very—it uh, was an inflection point in my life, for sure. Um, and. And so that's really what inspired me to get into journalism in and of itself. And then of course, you know, again, through the summer of 2020, we saw what was going on there. And I just felt that after all of our coverage of the different BLM protests, which were very good, I, I thought you know, we were applauded. Actually, one of the, one of the kids that live streamed for me from these different things, he, his name's Dylan Beresford, uh, he went on to have a lot of his work actually published through New York Times. And so that was kind of a very exciting time in the summer. And, you know, so really, you know, my my interest in everything that happened post-election was very much based in just kind of showing the other side of the coin. And so that's what I went to do. Uh, you know, I, I wound up being embedded with Proud Boys, essentially, for, you know, those different protests and and, and different, you know, demonstrations. In DC, so it was, it was all very educational on my end for sure. And I felt that it gave, you know, what I had at the time with, you know, the social media that I was pushing this out through at the time um, was a very eclectic following of people. So it wasn't right, left, or anything else. There were, there were people from all over the map uh, ideologically. And I thought it gave them a very good uh, lens into what was really going on in all these different events throughout that summer. So that,
3: that was why I was there. Sure, sure. So you've led us then through the story of how you, uh, how you started with this, how you were covering the protests that were happening in 2020. So then take us to the day of what happened. You know, you woke up January 6th. You must have been, you know, staying in a hotel or something, and then just go from there.
4: Yeah, I would, you know, and it's like you've even got to look at a bit of the backdrop. This is something that I think people on all sides of the equation miss about January sixth. Was you know throughout that time, those protests prior, you saw kind of a building intensity, so to speak, yeah. on the streets when it came to different confrontations between uh, BLM. Antifa, Proud Boys and these various groups, you know, there was a lot of street altercations sure. that led to, you know, some hostilities, I think, between, you know, your, your typically right wing protesters, who were always, you know, back the blue and stuff like that, where they were, you know, y- you were seeing that breakdown. And I was watching it in live time is how it felt. Right. Um, and so that was interesting in the whole lead up to that. And, and I remember, you know, when I was back in New Mexico at the time, was where I live, and and I remember sitting there with my kids, and and I was like, man, I don't even know if I want to go out to D.C. this time, uh, you know, because things were just getting more intense. Sure. And, yeah. And I didn't I didn't know it was going to happen, and and I remember having that conversation, and obviously I've talked about this publicly, you know, where and it was in my court filings recently, where I had you know different uh, relationships with people in the intelligence community, and so I I even you know told them of my concerns. Um, hmm. And in fact, I'm actually getting ready to release. There was actually some stuff that was foia that's going to show that, hmm. that, you know, Department of Homeland Security was aware of a lot of things. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that was how I was feeling in the lead up to it. I wasn't particularly excited about going to D.C. But, sure. you know, at some point when you're in this business, you just kind of put your fears to the side the same way you do when, you, when you're running into you know, officers, you're right in between police and protesters and there's, you know, pepper spray and knives and everything <laughs> else, you know. Right. You just kind of put that to the side and you go to do the damn job. Um, so that's that's what I did. I got into D.C. on January 4th hmm. of 2021. Um, and, you know, so I checked into my hotel. I was actually staying on 14th Street, uh, right at the Hilton Garden Inn, mm-hmm. actually, which, which, you know, you can really get into a lot of the, the details that are, that are kind of more um, unknown about January 6th when even we talk about who else was staying there. But um, so, you know, I got up in the morning. I was actually supposed to meet with someone because I wasn't sure how I was going to cover it, you know, as I was typically covering, you know, street protests and stuff.
5: Right.
4: Not so much focused on, you know, speakers so much. Um, and, and so, you know, I get, I get in on the 4th, Sorry, to back up and and then on the fifth i actually was out all day and i actually did cover speakers that day which was interesting because i was trying to stream on tiktok and generate some revenue that way uh but they banned me
5: Mm. um
4: so that didn't so that didn't work i was already banned on facebook at that time um for doing different streams and so you know really all i had left at that point was instagram as far as you know your normal social media um And actually, I got reached out to at that time by a a guy from Opsland Media. And he said, Well, we've got an app that won't censor you, you know, so you can stream there if you you pull some traffic over there. And I thought, Great. Hmm. So that was going on. And then in the evening, I actually walked over after all the speakers were done over to BLM Plaza. And, you know, I don't know how many people in your audience, but there's a very famous video of uh, a guy, an individual named Ray Epps who was, you know, telling everyone, oh, we need to go into the Capitol tomorrow. We need to go into the Capitol. And then you had this other somewhat well-known individual that people can look up um, named Bake Alaska, and He was saying, no, no. And everybody started shouting at Ray Epps and calling him a Fed.
5: So that was kind of an
4: interesting thing that happened there. And, and something, you know, in, in full, uh, you know, honesty and disclosure and all this, I mean, I had my own political leanings and beliefs about what was going on. I think it's impossible to cover things without starting to formulate your own opinions. And I was never shy about my opinions either. Um, You know, I felt that that was part of, you know, being more honest and truthful with people was to give them live stream and then say, well, yeah, this is what I think, and then they can either take it or leave it. Um, But it was interesting where I actually took a picture in front of BLM Plaza because Enrique Tarrio, the chairman of Proud Boys, He had been arrested on the 4th Hmm. um, in association with another event that happened on December 12th that I was present for, where a Black Lives Matter banner was burned in the street and he ended up taking responsibility for it.
5: Well,
3: I heard
4: about that. Yeah.
3: You were actually there when that happened? What's that? I I heard about that event. Yeah,
4: Yeah, I was there when that happened. Interesting. Okay. I was Hmm. right near Hotel Harrington. And actually, I mean, there's a whole archive, I would have to go dig it up, but I did a master thread of different tweets that was like a collection of all of this live stream from from all that time so it's Mm -hmm. it's like i say most of it's preserved besides what you know i didn't have downloaded whenever whenever the feds finally decided to nuke my account right um so so yeah i mean that that was kind of the backdrop that's what it was and so there was a guy there and he was selling t-shirts uh proud boy bobby Pickled. And those t-shirts said, Enrique Tarrio did nothing wrong. And I said, yeah, yeah, I can get behind that because I've watched this the whole time. So I bought one of those shirts and I stood in front of BLM Plaza and uh, Brendan Gutenschwager, kind of another uh, relatively well-known journalist, he actually snapped a photo of me of that, which would then become, you know, central later. (laughs) Yeah. and so, you know, I went to bed that night. I got up in the morning. I was supposed to meet with somebody who was supposed to get me some sort of a pass, you know, so that I could get better vantage point of Trump. And, you know, it's my understanding that they basically had too much to drink the night before, mm-hmm. because for those that don't know, there was a lot
5: of drinking going on in D.C. during those days.
3: Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of drinking and, uh, that goes on in D.C. every day. Uh, but uh, I'm sure there was especially a lot then.
4: It's the, only, it's, the, it's the only way you can cope with it.
3: Yeah.
5: Um, okay.
4: <laughs> I think that's a bipartisan approach.
5: Uh, but,
4: <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> so I ended up, uh, you know, just saying, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I was milling about the Washington Monument while Trump was speaking. And so I was getting pretty much what has only ever amounted to as b roll Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really anything you're going to be able to post and people will be like, oh, yeah, thousands of likes or anything like that. So I was just doing what I could. Sure. Um, and I remember Trump at some point, you know, it's kind of kind of famous, I think. But, you know, when he says, uh, you know, and everybody, I'm going to walk down to the Capitol with you peacefully and patriotically, you know, and he says, we're going to go to the Capitol. And every you know the crowd was wild. And by the way, it was packed that day. There was just so many people For yeah. those who don't know. I mean, it was. It was, there was so many people. I mean, it was, every street was full. It was nuts. Interesting. Um, okay.
3: Yeah, because I've only seen so, the, the, I've only seen the footage from the, uh, the newscast where they were showing Trump. They wouldn't really, they weren't really showing the crowds very much. No, no. 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 <laughs> and that's they were. It's
4: funny. Yeah, and the whole scope of things is that, you know, they've really tried to downplay how many people were there. Mm. And I've heard mm. estimates all over the map. And I, you know, I'll admit that, you know, my ability to estimate crowd size is not always the best, but I know they hmm. thought that there was close to a half a million people there for the first rally. And this was much bigger than that. Wow. So, hmm. you know, this was, this was definitely the most people I've ever seen in one place at all. Oh. It was nuts. And I've been to, you know, I've been, I've been in situations where there were at least a quarter million people, half a million people. This was much bigger.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay.
4: Yeah. So, uh, You know, that was all going on, and so Trump says that, and I said, okay, well, I knew that there were actually planned and permitted protests at some point Hmm. somewhere near the Capitol that day, and and that can all be backed up. You know, there's a lot of evidence for that, actually, in my court filings as well,
5: Mm -hmm.
4: Um, and and so I knew that was going to be going on, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and head to the Capitol, and so that would have been around um, 12.30 p.m. when I decided that I was going to go ahead and head to the Capitol and so i'm walking east on the mall and i get to the halfway point of the mall and actually a, a friend of mine a source actually reached out at that point and said hey you know they found pipe bombs uh so just you know watch your ass basically right um, and i was like okay noted um and i continued walking uh to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. i estimate that i got there because i had i had started my live stream you know and, and mind you i was going in and out from uh, ops Lins app it was not connecting right you know it's like mm. the bandwidth was just too saturated that was a problem the whole time oh, yeah. you couldn't get a good connection i finally got a connection on instagram so that's what i went with i said well mm. you know this is what it is um and so as i went to the capital by then it, it, like it had already kind of gone to shit in some ways i got hope it. i can say that right? didn't get you an FCC or anything. But, um, <laughs> I'll have to edit
3: that one out, but that's okay, not <laughs> a problem.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, you gotta watch me. <laughs> um, and so, and so, you know, it was already, uh, you know, a tense situation for sure. Right.
5: Um,
4: I didn't know exactly what had happened prior, you know. In, in the aftermath, you can go back and look at the timeline and obviously there was a breach where that same individual, Ray Epps, had whispered into a guy named Ryan Sandel's ear and that was what preceded Ryan Sandel then knocking over the bike racks into Officer Carolyn Edwards who testified at the January 6th hearing and you know lied objectively she lied at that hearing if you look at the actual video of the incident and the timestamps, um, but so all that happened prior and when I got there you know there was it's, it's really hard for me to say it wasn't like the most massive group of people I've ever seen but let's just for sake of argument say a thousand people
5: Sure,
4: and I don't and I don't even know at that time if it was that much, but it's like I saw that there was something going on, and so like always, I just go right up into it and try to get right between you know whatever's going on. And there was a line of police right by the northwest side of the inauguration stage scaffolding that had been set up, and mm-hmm. so that's where I initially set up and was and was running my live stream there. So
3: mm-hmm.
4: I didn't know if you had any any questions or if I'll just keep going.
3: Yeah. Um Hmm. I I'm very intrigued by by hearing it from your perspective because uh you know the the only perspective that I've heard so far other than just you know reading articles from people is uh just how the news covered it so hearing it from your direct perspective is a uh, is an intriguing thing for myself and I'm sure for the listeners as well so uh go ahead and continue and uh we will ask questions as we go
4: Yeah absolutely um so so it, it seemed to me like that was where the line of demarcation was based mm. off of what I had seen coming up. It's like, okay, well, there's a police line, and then you have protesters. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. Now, this is important in the entire scope of things because for those that don't know, they have basically said that there was this invisible line around the Capitol, and anybody who went on that on, on those grounds was in violation of, I can't remember the exact statute, okay? Mm. But that's the way they framed it, was that anybody who went on, on there was in violation. So it, hmm. technically, according to that, you know, there everybody that was there was already on the ground. But hmm. I can speak from my experience that I didn't see any sort of, you know, signs or anything else. You know, again, the Capitol was very unguarded that day.
5: Yeah, uh, clearly. <laughs> and, gotcha.
4: Yeah, and, and that's. You know, it's like I say, it's, 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 I told you we'd fill an hour up quick. Absolutely,
3: um, yeah. We're already 20 minutes in, and we're, we're, we're still exactly, at the beginning exactly. of the day.
4: <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so that's where I was, and, and it was this kind of, it wasn't really hostile at that point, right?
5: Hmm. Okay.
4: At that point, I mean, obviously you had protesters that were there, uh, you know, to make their redress of grievance hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the police were there, obviously understaffed. And then they, there was like, a, it was like the, a group of protesters started pushing up that west side stairway up to the upper west terrace of the Capitol building.
3: Right. Okay.
4: And so I think a lot of people have seen a lot of that. Some of the more underseen things were the fact that, so I'm standing in that grass, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now I didn't see this with my own eye at that time, so I need to clarify this that I had my camera on, on my phone essentially pointed in that direction, but I was not looking at it with my own eyes. Okay? <laughs> okay. I'm looking elsewhere, and you, know, you, you just keep your head about you in these situations. Um, and in video later, we see that a Capitol Police officer shoved a man off of those stairs, and he fell you know, anywhere between you know, 20 to 40 feet. Jeez. Um, yeah, yeah, so a Capitol Police officer shoved that guy off the stairs, He hit the ground right next to me. Mm. And I'm telling you, he looked dead. I thought he was dead. You know, I turned around and I'm like, well, he's not responsive. He's not moving. This guy's dead. And then everyone's screaming, you know, they're saying they pushed him off the stairs. They pushed him off the stairs. And then the crowd really got um, a little bit more heated. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And then, of course, you know, the officer that pushed him was flipping the crowd off after that. Got it. So you know that was kind of a, a pretty important moment in the entire uh, timeline of events that they've really not liked to report. Hmm. Um, as far as mainstream sources go, sure. And, yeah, I,
3: and, I don't remember yeah. anyone talking about that. The, uh, they, oh, I no, may have read about no, it, but so I, I don't remember that. Yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. The, and there's video yeah. of this.
4: Yes, there's video of this.
3: Hmm. Okay, I'll have to find yep. it. Interesting. Okay, continue. Yep. yep.
4: Uh, you know I, and, like I say, we can chat you know at some point, and I can point in their direction of all sorts of information. so um, So that happened. the crowd obviously gets a little more you know heated, and, and I remember there was a cop. The cops didn't look like they were in a good situation either. I mean, it's, sure. you know the crowd was bigger than them, and they were not happy, and you know kind of you know if you look at it, you can come up with whatever excuses you want for what happened with the cop shoving the guy. Mm-hmm. But it didn't help the situation.
3: Sure, yeah.
5: Um,
4: and so then the tear gas started. And then, you know, pepper balls. And it was just all very random and into the crowd. Right. So that's another thing a lot of people don't realize is that the police were just shooting, you know, tear gas canisters and flashbang grenades off into the crowd with no declaration of a riot.
5: Which mm-hmm. for anybody
4: who's ever covered a riot, that's a problem.
5: Mm-hmm. You
4: have to let people know that they're in some sort of violation and believe before you just start shooting them. Right, but that yeah. didn't happen. That didn't happen, hmm. um, and so again, you're dealing with a lot of veterans and people who bled for this country, and they weren't happy about it.
5: Yeah. I, mean,
4: I I don't know what else to say, and and you know, so you, you know, people are there with their wives. You know, they're older. You know how you know I just I, you know I don't know how they expected people to react, and it's it's my opinion. After you know two years digging in, that was the reaction they wanted. Hmm. Um, and and so you know at some point they do all this and then the police just stand down and i know someone was the other day in one of these other spaces we talked you know there's a lot of discussion that goes on but um you know they essentially stood down and then protesters started moving up that west staircase and onto the upper west terrace and so at that point i was like okay well this is what we're doing, this is what's going on, I guess I'm going with it. So you go up to the west stairs and on that west terrace, and I go up to the top of the inauguration scaffolding, there was a stair that went up to the top of that. And so I wanted to try to get a shot of the crowd looking back towards the Washington Monument.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And when I got to the top of the stairs, there was a there was a female police officer up there, and I've always said, you know, she reminds me of, of Sergeant Callahan or Lieutenant Callahan from Police Academy. You know, she had aviator sunglasses on, blonde, and she wasn't taking anybody's crap. And she, and she ordered me. She said, you get down, you get down. And I said, yes, ma'am. Um, and so, so that's what I did. Uh, got down off of the scaffolding, went back down the stairs and back onto that Upper West Terrace. And, and so at that time, it was like everybody had been funneled towards the Senate entry okay there was like a senate door on that west side um and Mm. and so that was where the initial breach of the building occurred okay and and so this this is kind of an interesting thing that's that's been dug up um but there there was a gentleman there or whatever we want to call him but there's a there's an unidentified individual there um with a mask and a red hat who takes a two by four and he breaks that window out right mm-hmm. near the Senate entrance.
5: Right. And
4: then Dominic Pozzola, who's, you know, he's actually, they're actually on trial right now, and they were uh, going through his stuff today in D.C., but he actually took a police riot shield at that point, point. he clears out that window. So this occurred
5: mm-hmm.
4: at um, approximately 2.13 p.m. Mm-hmm. And and I was not watching that or present while that was going on. I was a little bit further back by another door that goes into the Senate wing of the building. Okay. And and so there's that initial breach and again I'm not seeing this with my eyes, but it you know, looking at video later, people started to enter in through that window and there was actually these these two gentlemen that I've now been able to track back to that to that to another window right there at that entry and they entered like maybe at two fourteen, okay, hmm. and and they make a beeline directly through the building. They had to know where they were going, right? Because then they came to the door that I was standing near, and they opened it from the inside. And hmm. so I don't see any of this. All I see is doors open from the inside.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, right. you know, a lot of this is analysis that I've done after the fact.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: But they open the doors from the inside. The doors open. And so people start going in there and so that was where i made my initial entry into the Capitol.
5: Mm. Um, mm-hmm.
4: and so i went into that door there was there was a female police officer who kind of came down a set of stairs there it's right near the senate parliamentarian's office and and she said oh, okay well you know you guys you can't be in this area of the building need you to go and I said oh, you know I'm a journalist and she said no I understand she said I understand I said, okay and then another cop kind of came up and he guided me out and I remember just kind of jokingly saying to him I said well thanks for not kicking my ass hmm. um, and then I went back out that door but then by then you had a lot of people that were then flowing into the building where the initial breach had occurred
5: mm-hmm.
4: and so I went ahead and followed along with them uh, and right into there and that led as i headed south from the building to the crypt area that sits directly below the capitol dome the rotunda Mm -hmm. and so that's a that's a uh, room with a bunch of pillars and, and other things and and the police had essentially set up some form of a line in there and so i remember standing you know right in between as always and um you know, there was there was a lot of chanting and USA stuff and all that going on. Mm-hmm. There was an individual there, Zachary Allen, and he was being incredibly uh, agitated. So he was cursing at police and and really just you know being extra, I guess we could say.
5: Sure.
4: Um, and so you know, I actually I actually told him to, to shut up because hmm. um, I was standing right next to him at that time. Um, and then, and then the crowd pushed from behind at that point, hmm. and so there was actually a police officer in front of me at that time that kind of got knocked over as the crowd moved through, and I kind of, I vaguely remember picking him up by his shirt and trying to get him to his feet. Hmm. And then, and then it just stood down again, and then everything was weird. So again, so again, you know, I would always stress with this. I'm not one of those who says that everything was peaceful or that everything was violent. It's just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is more of that where, okay, so you've got this situation and then all of a sudden it's chill again and the police are just like kind of cool with everybody being there.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
4: Um, hmm. that is strange. So, so it's like, okay, uh, ended up going down, uh, another hallway. And this is, this is why this is kind of another interesting point. I'm going to try to describe this as best of my ability. So, so as you head South, then there was another hallway that then headed back to the West. Um, you know, towards Washington Monument in that direction, and as as I went down that hallway, there was another group of people there. Actually, Luke Mogelson of New Yorker uh, magazine, he was right there as well, and a, and another individual, um, uh, Captain Gabriel Garcia, who's also wrapped up in all this, and charged and facing decades in prison. Um, and and so there was this situation. Now, the Department of Justice. They described it, and they said that the police there were blocking the hallway and preventing protesters from moving any further. Hmm. My video that did survive from my live stream—somebody screen recorded this portion of Hmm. uh, it—actually proved that to just be objectively false. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Because, because at that time I said, and and again, I this is something I admitted to. You know, I took. You know, I did plead guilty. And, and I always debated whether or not this crossed the line. I still debate whether or not it crossed the line of the journalist. But I did say to the policeman there, I said, "Brother, stand with us." Mm. Now you know, yeah, you know, it's like I've thought about that statement for a long time, you know, as far as you know what it meant in the entire sphere of everything, and I've written extensively about that. Um, mm. You know I, I, you know in, in retrospect, I wish I would have kept my mouth shut that moment for sure um but it is what it is and, and you know the police again were not issuing any commands at that time and this can be seen in the video uh they weren't giving any orders they weren't giving any direction and they did not prevent anyone from moving further down that hallway because they ended up actually just leading people down mm-hmm. that hallway mm-hmm. and what's interesting about this that then and I didn't follow along I just had a feeling in my gut something didn't sit right I don't know whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. I, I've, I've got a friend who called it the witch gut my witch gut was going off and I just didn't like the situation
5: mm-hmm.
4: and so you know, when you look at the video later what happened after I broke away from that particular group was that they actually led them then to another set of exterior doors and those police opened those exterior doors in the guise of letting protesters out but what actually happened was then protesters started coming in those doors Mm -hmm. and then that there's a there's a relatively famous video of that police officer standing there as people come in and he says to people as they're coming in yeah i don't agree with it but i respect it and -hmm. they're just letting people in Um, Hmm. and then other people that were in that same group of protesters ended up you know going into the senate wing uh jacob chansley the QAnon shaman and, and all of those people that went into that into the actual senate chamber they are all facing uh years and years and years in prison now regardless of whether or not they were violent that day mm-hmm. um so yeah interesting i ended up going the other direction uh you know i remember i was actually flirting with a, a capitol police officer i uh, named miles uh because she was kind of cute and i am how i am um and and then i ended up going up a set of stairs and again very bizarre cuz you've got this situation like obviously where i'm able to flirt with a capital police officer then you've got another person you know over in just you know a few feet away like washing you know pepper spray out of their eyes or whatever so mm-hmm. it just i you know i cannot uh reiterate just how bizarre all it was to just take in um, hmm. i went up the stairs Uh, Into the rotunda area from from that area the main rotunda and people were just kind of hanging around There was nothing nothing crazy going on at all And so I just kind of start begin walking around and uh, I went into the statuary statuary hall Um, You know kind of observed all that that was going on and then there's a hallway that connects the statuary with the house side of the building and and then that hallway then would lead to the speaker's chambers. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of camped out in that hallway for a minute. I was drinking a bottle of water. And so there was some back and forth going on of people saying, oh, well, we're here to peacefully assemble and we want our voices heard. And the police are saying, okay, well, we're gonna see what we can do to make that happen. And they ended up essentially just letting people move through that hallway. Now, again, I'm just hanging out, camping out, taking a minute, you know? Um and then and then, of course, uh, I heard the gunshot around that time mm. and that mm-hmm. and that would have been the gunshot where michael Byrd uh you know shot Ashley Babbitt uh, right. and interestingly enough, going back to that same guy that was instigating down in the uh crypt area uh Zarey he's the one who actually broke the window hmm. and was yelling at police at the at the doors to the speaker's chamber where Ashley Babbitt then, you know tried to moved through that door and was shot and killed mm-hmm. um, so yeah there was a gunshot and then I saw you know, what I believe to have been uh, Department of Homeland Security like federal law enforcement then come moving through heavily armed um, and then there was some more police that came back from the other way and they said okay everybody back into the rotunda mm. and I said okay again you know that's something I've learned even in the streets when the cops tell you what to do you just do it you know, you're a journalist and you're there to cover, but, you know, it is what it is. Lawful mm-hmm. orders and what have you.
5: Sure. Uh,
4: so they said everybody back into the rotunda. All right, back into the rotunda. So I, I moved in that direction, got back to the rotunda, and by the time I got to the rotunda, and I can't remember the individual's name, but he, you know, he had sparked up a bunch of joints, and so there was a lot of pot being smoked and passed around in the rotunda. It was it was bizarre.
3: And I Probably remember the first time that's head, ever happened. That's pretty funny. Well <laughs> yeah, no, it was
4: it was again, it was weird. And and in me, you know, for those that don't know, it's like, you know, I'm I'm the child of a hippie. So, you know, my dad was in D C for the anti war protest in nineteen seventy three and I'm sitting here thinking, Okay, well I guess this is what they talk about when they say like a fitting. So I thought it was going to be some sort of a peaceful fit mm.
5: Um
4: You know, and by this time, I had actually lost my connection on my live stream. Mm. And the sad part about everything that I've just told you is that with the exception of the screen recorded section, then of course, surveillance footage from inside the building, you know, I, you know, it's like I lost all of my footage mm. um, from that part. And no, that's, yeah, that's, that's never sat well with me.
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: but yeah, so I decided to have a, I decided to have a seat in the rotunda I'm just taking all of it in, you know, for whatever it's worth. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to text my mom and let her know I'm okay. Cause I'm sure it's all being reported on the news. I have no idea what's going on outside the building or anything.
5: Right.
4: And, uh, and you know, it all seemed pretty chill. Hmm. And then, and then, you know, from looking at body cam footage, but I started recording, you know, not live, but I started recording and because the police just came in and started you know going crazy a little bit
3: hmm. um, okay yeah what did you see there
4: yeah so uh you know it turned into a uh horrible situation where hmm. everyone was being crushed right as the police were trying to shove everybody out and there were people trying to shove in through the columbus doors there hmm. um and uh yeah it was a bad situation i i uh I wasn't sure I was going to make it out of that one. Um, hmm. It was just a lot of pressure on all sides. And, you know, you've got police doing what they're doing. There was a woman right in front of me, and this is, this video is all available to see. Sure. Um, there was a woman in front of me, and you know, she she uh, passed out, and I remember putting my hand out to the police officer in front of me, and, and I was like, holding his chest, and just trying to keep anybody from stepping on her.
5: You hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right.
4: And. And so, you know, I'm screaming, make some room, make some room, and some other colorful language about how to make some room. And the police, there was one right there, and he was trying to work with me. He understood how, you know, dangerous it was. And they ended up kind of dragging her behind the line. Um, and then, of course, you know, it just went back to it. And, again, I, you know, some of the cops there that day were very good, and other cops were very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, Just like the people, just, you know. I mean, you you, you get bad and good on all sides of these things. It doesn't sure. matter whose politics are involved, right? And and uh, you know, so there was one officer there, and Huff is his name, and he kept jamming me in the ribs, you know. And at some point in my video, you hear me. Can you please not do that? You know, because it you know it's there. There, there was no reason for it, um, in my opinion. It's like, you know, so they're just trying to shut everybody out. And then all of a sudden, the pressure lands. I don't really know what happened. And then they say, okay, everybody here is under arrest. Wow. And you're going, okay, well, I'll grab grab my media. Yeah, I'll grab my media paperwork, and we'll just deal with this. You know, because maybe I'm going to go spend the night in D.C. jail to cool off or something until they figure it out.
5: Mm -hmm. And then
4: they say, oh, we're going to give you clear directions. And then they didn't give clear directions. And Mm -hmm. then they're like, and they're like, "Okay, everybody out." So then I start kind of going in the direction. Then another cop shoves me, and he says, "No, no, you're staying right here, buddy." Hmm. And I'm going, "Okay, well, what do you want me to do?" You know. And then finally, they just go, "Okay, okay, okay, everybody out."
5: Right.
4: And so, and so you know, they kind of directed us all out. I left the building. Hmm. Uh, you know, I went out through what they call the uh, the uh, memorial doors. And uh, you know, went on the west or the it would have been the east side of the building where I exited. And uh, you know, I kind of stood around, took that in. I talked with some other media that were you know kind of positioned out there. Uh, Went over to the Supreme Court. I spoke with a couple of police officers over there. Tried to get an idea of what they thought was going on. Of course, they wouldn't say anything, which is fine. And then I walked back uh, towards the west side of the building, the building where by then you know the crowd had gotten. Considerably larger, and there was an American flag, you know, kind of draped from the top of the inauguration scaffolding, and it was just—it was crazy because it was like there was this party atmosphere going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but after everything I'd experienced, it was a little weird. And then, and then I was getting phone calls uh, from another guy that I, you know, did some, you know, contributions to Rocky Stucci mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, can you come on the show tonight?" I said, "Yeah, I can do that." And so I went ahead and walked back to the, to the hotel, and I did my media appearances. Um, and then by the time I was even thinking about going back to the Capitol to maybe cover more, uh, police had pretty much decided that they were gonna go ahead and start locking everyone in their hotel room. So you couldn't even go outside and have a cigarette or anything else. Hmm. And that was how I went to bed that evening.
3: Wow, interesting. Well, and uh, like I said, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and telling us your perspective because um something that's important to me is just for people to be able to tell their story and for people to be able to make up their own mind so you know yeah i'm sure we disagree on a lot of different things uh but you know that's fine uh, the the way that we have a functioning democracy is by listening to each other and understanding what everybody has to say so um we've got about 15 minutes left in the program and so um, I've got a couple of questions for you. And again, yeah. uh, like I said, my goal is to listen to what you have to say. I'm not, uh, you know, the goal is not to be like, oh, how dare you? Uh, the goal is to say, you know, uh, the, the, the goal is to find the truth. And I, I think that it's, uh, it's clear from what you've said that that's, that's your goal as well. So, um, yeah. The thing that is really concerning to me is um, there's a lot of different perspectives on this that uh, some people say, you know, oh, it was all a hoax or it was all Antifa or it was all this or it was all that. Um, basically, uh, what do you think happened? Do you think that it was orchestrated? Do you think that it was just a mob going out of control? Do you, th- do you think that uh, Mr. Trump um, encouraged people to do it. What What is your perspective on that?
4: You know, if we're being really honest, we could probably say a little bit of all of the above. Mm. I think I think that it was kind of a perfect storm.
5: Yeah.
4: Of of circumstances that led to it. I think that there was, and you know, you know, I've done a lot of work to try to dig into you know what happened as far as chain of command with police, National Guard, Mayor Muriel Bowser. President Trump, General Milley, you know, the list goes on and on, Nancy Mm -hmm. Pelosi, the Sergeant of Arms that's now mysteriously dead before he was supposed to testify. Um, You know, there was a lot of things. One of the big underreported things that people should really look into is the death of Roseanne Boyland. Mm. They said that she died from a methamphetamine overdose. That's just simply not true. She was beaten to death, Mm. um, savagely. DC Metro police officer Lila Morris, who was then hailed as a hero. Wow. I've watched the video of her death so many times, it makes me sick. Mm. Um, you know, so there's a lot that's just simply not reported now. Mm. As far as whether or not there was orchestration, I think that there's a lot of evidence to that fact that, you know, I, like I said, there's, there's just weird things that are hard to believe that it just happened by chance, like those individuals who went into that Senate entry and then, you know, less than two minutes later had found their way through the building to open up a door from the inside hmm. um, most most of the entry into the building came through doors that were open from the inside hmm. uh, whether or not you know like so I know that on the Columbus doors uh, George Tenney uh, who I can't remember he's I believe he's already been sentenced uh, but he opened those doors, and, you know, so that's that's something where you can say, well, that was a Trump supporter. The other ones I have mm. questions about, obviously, there was the other set of doors that were opened by police. Mm. And then you have the set of doors that were opened by the unidentified individuals who opened the doors and just left.
5: Mm. Now,
4: I I have a lot of friends that have worked different influence operations and, and different things throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot about January 6th that resembles uh, some of those things. Um, So, I think that there was a certain amount orchestrated, but I think people have to have a good understanding of just how easy it is to manipulate a crowd because of you know different hive mind uh, realities that occur when you get people in large groups. Uh, Sure, you know there does become a mob mentality to it, and so they become very easy to manipulate. Mm. And I, you know, it it wouldn't take that many people. And I think that when you say, "Well, why did January sixth happen?" Like if you investigate any crime the first question you should ask is, who benefits? Right. And, you know, as someone who, you know, and I'll I'll say this in full transparency, that what I would like to have seen that day, uh, you know, personally, was a 10-day investigation into the claims of voter fraud. Hmm. And when I look at what happened because of January 6th, and this is what upset me so much about it, was that it shut down that process. Hmm. because Because they recessed, and then when they came back, Everybody that came back to vote on the certification was essentially doing so under political duress because they said, well, we can't allow our democracy to be stopped by the the raging mob of insurrectionists. Um, And then they they pushed it through, and you never got an investigation. So when I I asked that question, I say, who benefits? Uh, It certainly wasn't Trump supporters that benefited that day. It certainly right. wasn't me on a personal level, obviously, two years later after everything I've lost due to their, the government's decision to prosecute me. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that kind of uh, might inform uh, a bit more objective analysis. Hmm.
3: That's very interesting. And I, I appreciate that you are willing to admit that that there were mistakes you know and obviously not just on the side of one or the other that you know the police made mistakes the protesters made mistakes it's there's no question on that and i appreciate you being uh humble enough to admit that because um you know something that we don't see enough in the